Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you as we get into your word today. Father, we acknowledge that we could not do anything that we do without you. We thank you that you've graced us, Father. Uh, thank you, Father God, that as we minister, that the word is revelation. People have understanding of it. That you help, it, uh, f- help me, Father, that it would be simple and easy to understand. We thank you that we'll be able to use it in our lives and do Christianity and life more fruitful and more effectively in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to first of all do a little review from, uh, this is the last Sunday for this series, so we'll we'll do a review, then we'll get into what we want to do today. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read a bunch of scriptures here. Verse number 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying all, at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. Uh, so here's uh, just a summary of the, of the pieces of armor. There's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And of course, we're going to be looking at the breastplate of righteousness, which uh, um, today, you know, the armor they wore back in the old day would not protect them in today's military and the weapons we have. So that's why we called it bulletproof. Uh, because it's more up-to-date with the protection that we wear. So here's a few thoughts. This is still reviewing from what we've already talked about. God designed and gave us the armor. So it wasn't something that we could have designed. And knowing God, he probably did it before he even did creation, because before the worlds and everything was created, God already planned to send us Jesus as our Redeemer. So with that plan of redemption, I'm sure he had this all planned out. He knew, all, he knew many, many thousands of years ago he was going to give us this armor uh, to do battle. So we, but then it says even though he designed it and he gave it to us, we are told to take it up. In other words, uh, we cannot use it. We cannot benefit from it if we don't take it up. So he says you take it up and then you allow it to work for yourself and use it. And then the armor was designed for spiritual warfare and not for a flesh and blood fight. And so the difference of the Old Testament, that's before Jesus came, and then the New Testament, that's after Jesus came. The difference there is in the Old Testament, Israel went out to fight other nations, and they had swords and shields, and they actually 
with real swords and shield, they actually fought and killed real people, you know. And then now in the New Testament, we are never told to fight people in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the battle is in the realm of the spirit. It's a spiritual battle. And even without us being able to see into the realm of the spirit, the devil and, and evil spirits out there, they try to cause division amongst people in families, in relationships, with parents and children, even in church. Uh, <laughs> even in church, it tries to happen where, where you know, the evil tries to come in and cause division. So when we understand that, uh, we can actually do things in the realm of the Spirit that, to make things even better between people. And so thank God for this uh, enlightenment that he gives us in his word. So the armor was designed for spiritual warfare and not for a flesh and blood fight. With the armor, the Christian can do spiritual battle and win. So that's just a review. And then we looked at these uh, two uh, these are two translations of Ephesians 6.14. It really reads nice. It says, the body armor of God's righteousness. I like the way that says it, the body armor of God's righteousness. So just picture righteousness being our body armor. And then righteousness like armor on your chest. And we'll, so we talked about the vital organs when they went back with the Roman army. They had that breastplate made up to protect the vital organs. So what God is telling us is if we have knowledge and understanding about righteousness, it protects the vitals that have to do with Christianity. So understanding righteousness makes a huge difference uh, for us doing Christianity and actually doing it without crumbling and falling apart. A lack of understanding righteousness will cause us to be on a roller coaster and up and down but understanding righteousness will keep everyone solid and stable. So that's one reason why we want to look into this. All right, so that's a review. Now, let's, here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at three things. Number one is how we enter the throne of grace. And you might say, well, how does that relate to righteousness? And, and we'll see what kind of throne is it and what is available there, okay? Now, going back to the, a couple weeks ago, Patsy, when she, she was ministering she had lucky and boydy up here and these guys uh you know big guys strong guys i would think they might not even need a bulletproof vest but <laughs> but uh, in my but they 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 work with the police so lucky wears a bulletproof vest and, and boydy wears a bulletproof vest and so when you put one of those vests on and you get called to go into a place that vest gives you boldness to go in a room where you would not normally go okay and so that's one of the advantages of that vest. So we could say this about, uh, you know, th those vests, I did a little Googling and read up about them. They're not, there's once in a great while, a bullet can get through those. So they're not 100%, 100% always dependable. But here's the thing about God and his righteousness. God's righteousness comes with 100% guarantee that it works every time. It's like a money back. You, you know, with the righteousness of God, it works all the time and revelation and understanding of it will keep us stable in our christian walks okay so with that said <clears throat> let's talk about our first uh, thing uh, point how do we enter the throne of grace okay so when we talk about that here's the first thing we want to say is that righteousness 
gives us safe access to the throne of grace. Righteousness gives us safe access to the throne of grace. We could say another way that God's righteousness prepares us to enter the presence of God. And it makes access into the throne simple and easy. Now, I'll say that up front, but now we're going to actually look and we're going to see what it was like in the Old Testament before Jesus came, what it was like to get into the presence of God. Was it easy? Was it hard? You know, were there any regulations? So go, on, go uh, to First Chronicles uh, chapter 13 and verse 9, and here's what it says there. It says, when they came to the threshing floor of Chedon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put his hand to the ark, and he died before God. So here is uh, somebody before Jesus, and they didn't follow the regulations for touching the presence of God. The ark, by the way, the ark was like the presence of God before Jesus. And so here's somebody that touches the holy presence of God uh, and doesn't follow the regulations, and they actually fall dead because of it. Okay, so we could say that he was not qualified to touch the presence of God. All right, now, let's go to Numbers and look at this, what it says. Numbers 4 and verse 15, it says, When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. So notice there how it says that they must not touch the holy things lest they die. So, uh, you know, when sin gets close to the presence of God, something will give. You know, so what they're doing here is God put regulations in place and he says, if you do it this way, you'll be okay. And uh, so I was thinking about this whole thing about when you read the Old Testament and even, you know, like there's phrases that are put into movies. Hollywood puts phrases in the movies. And there's ways that people think because, you know, for the normal person, if they don't know how to divide between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Bible's just one thing, and there isn't an understanding, those thoughts and those things get out, and then people actually have an unhealthy fear of God. There's a healthy, reverential fear of God, but then there can be an unhealthy fear of God. And so unhealthy fear of God can dominate people, dominate countries, etc. And uh, so I, re I remember growing up, you know, so the denomination that we grew up in, I had an unhealthy fear of God, and it was mainly based upon even how we treated the church. So we had this understanding that if we ever left the church I grew up in, that there could be a, 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 a you know, lightning, a bolt of lightning coming down and striking us dead because we left our church, our denomination. So it was, that was that's an unhealthy fear and it's like, so it kept, you know, you there, of course, because it was the only church, there was no other church, and you never left that church, right? So then we got saved, and uh, my brother Joe, 
he had understanding a lot quicker than me. And so I didn't have this understanding. He said, let's go find a church that teaches the Bible. And I said, oh, no, no, we're, we're not going to leave this. You know, we're not going to do that. I was, I was like afraid that something bad would happen to us if we left the denomination that we grew up in. So then what happened is he was patient with me. He kept reminding me, hey, when are we going to go find a church that teaches the Bible? But then I went to a meeting, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit and spoken in tongues. Something happened to me after I got filled with the Holy Spirit, like this new boldness came on me, and then there, I had more understanding, and I said, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's, go, find, let's go find a church, you know. And so that fear was removed. You know, I knew that we could do go somewhere and hear the word and I wouldn't get hit by lightning or something. So these kind of things on various many levels and categories where people have an unhealthy fear and it's an unhealthy fear of God that can dominate certain areas of their life. So with that said, it's really good. We're, we're going to kind of have like a theological Sunday and look at a lot of different uh, verses of Scripture today. So let's go on a little, let's do some reading right now. I really encourage you to read all of Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, and even use, if you do it in the New Living Translation, it's really uh, easier to understand, but we're going to look at some portions today, and it's going to help us understand some of the things we're talking about. So Hebrews 9 and verse 1, it says, that first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on the earth there were two rooms in that tabernacle the first room were a lampstand a table and sacred loaves of bread on the table the room was called the holy place then there was a curtain and behind the curtain was a second room called the most holy place verse 6 when these things were all in place the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place only once a year. He always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people. So just a little, uh, we're going to make comments later, but the reason he could get close to the presence of God was because of shed blood. There was bloodshed. So when we talk about regulations, what enables us to get close to God about getting into the presence of God it goes back to right standing. Right stand, righteousness means that we're in right standing with God because of the shed blood. So they were not in right standing with God, and the only way that they could get close into the presence of God is they had to go there with blood, first for their own sins, but then also they were going in there for the sins of the people. All right, so that's what that's talking about, okay? And uh, then chapter 9 and verse 8, it says, by these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. So back before Jesus, the access into the presence of God in the throne room, it wasn't freely open and it wasn't, it wasn't possible to get close, okay? So we can even say this, you know, and I say this uh, with sincerity and love in my heart, we've uh, almost the entirety since we've been a church we've had a weekly prayer group that we pray for israel and actually uh in the i said this in the 8 30 but here in the 10 30 uh, paul and jasmine if you guys you know this is paul and jasmine most of you know them they're the ones that have led the prayer group once a week for israel once in a while they take a break 
So we are a church that prays for Israel and, and we love them, okay? But then I have to still say with the Bible, so I say this with sincerity and love, if the Jews today did the same ceremonies and did the same things they did before Jesus, it's without the presence of God. It's just a ceremony, and it's because once Jesus rose from the dead, the presence of God left that place, and the, the veil, the curtain was ripped. And so you can just do ceremonial things without God or his presence. So I say that with respect and honor, uh, but it's necessary that Jewish people accept Jesus as their Lord. If they want to have the presence and the holiness of God and everything, it can only come through Jesus Christ. And so we have to stay with the Bible. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so then Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, let's continue to read. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers, uh, for the worshipers would have been purified, and notice that word purified, once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. And then verse 19, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and living way through a, the curtain into the most holy place. What an awesome two chapters there. Isn't that awesome? Now, just a summary of what we read. I know we read, um, you know, we don't normally, if you're visiting with us today, we don't normally read that many verses, but boy, I, don't you love the Word of God? Um, and so here's a summary of what we just read. Under the old, there was an earthly place of worship where the presence of God dwelt. The inner room was called the most holy place. The priest went into the inner room once a year, abiding by regulations with the blood of animals. Because they followed the regulations and offered blood, they didn't fall dead. Because of the regulations, the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open. The sacrifices did not offer permanent purification. Instead, they reminded the people of their sin or unrighteousness. So righteousness is right standing with God. Right standing with God gives us free and easy access into the presence of God. Okay? And then uh, the, the last one, the blood of Jesus was holy blood that brought permanent righteousness for all who believed. So we can now boldly and often enter into the most holy place without guilt or fear. So if you ask yourself as a Christian, you know, to make it even more simple, as I say, reading a lot of verses today, but it's good reading. What does a Christian, or, you know, or let's not even say Christian, if you're not a Christian, what would you have to do to get into the presence of God easily? And the answer is, the only thing we have to do is accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And the microsecond that somebody says Jesus 
you are my Lord and I confess you as Lord. That microsecond, the holy presence of God moves on the inside of us. And because of the shed blood of Jesus, instead of us falling over dead because we uh, came into contact with the presence of God, the presence of God comes in us, the love of God, and empowers us, and we don't fall over dead. You know, so, uh, and then not only that happens, but then we can go to his throne, we could go to him. So, that, so here's what the answer to our question is like, uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, let us therefore boldly come to the throne of grace. So notice there, you know, like, how do we go? We go boldly, okay? Now, the Jewish people, if anyone, th this is written to the Hebrews. So think about who it's written to. These are the same people that knew if you touched the ark, you'd fall over dead. So that's why Hebrews is so beautiful. It's God explaining to the Hebrew people, it used to be this way, but now it's this way. And so Hebrews is explaining to them, so if there would be anyone that would be happy to hear that you could actually approach God and be near the presence of God without falling over dead, it would have been the Hebrew people. So when he says, come boldly, it's actually opposite of what they, 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 they kind of walked on eggshells and they had to do all these regulations. Now he's saying, you come boldly into my presence. Total opposite. So we, uh, the bulletproof vest, we say, you know, that that makes it, it uh, emboldens law enforcement. And they go into a room where they might know somebody might have a gun in that room, but they go into that room. Righteousness gives us boldness to go into the presence of God. The presence of God does not hurt us but it actually empowers us and ministers to us, okay? All right, so let's talk about the next one now, like so we can get there boldly. So what kind of throne is it? So look at Hebrews chapter four and verse 16. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. So this throne that we're talking about is a throne of grace. What is grace? Well, we've said, you know, the, most, the simplest definition of grace is unmerited favor. Another definition of grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And then there's another, there's many definitions of grace. Here's another one. It's God's ability that can come upon us and empower us to do what we could not do without it. So there's saving grace, by grace we're saved, but there's actually serving grace, where God's grace comes on us and empowers us to be able to serve. And so I, for one, can testify of it. Uh, you guys that have been around for a while, you know that when I was growing up, I was very timid. I could not speak in front of people. Uh, if I ever gave a report, if, if we had a class in school, and I was under a grading system that was back many years ago, A, B, C, D, and F, that's the way we were graded in school. And so if, if our grade was a combination of what we did on paper with an exam and then something we had to do, an oral report, if the oral report was figured in there, every time I got up to give an oral report, my face got totally red, boom, 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 you know, ears were really red, and I couldn't talk. I would just look at every, all my classmates, then I would just go give the teacher, after I couldn't talk, I gave her my report and sat down, and I got an F. You know, one time I got an F with a couple explanation points. Like, no mercy. 
It's kind of like, you know, getting pulled over by the police. No mercy. <laughs> um, so I flunked out of, of classes or got D's, you know, close to flunking out because of that thing. And so I can attest that, you know, when God says, I'm going to ask you to speak the word and get up in front of people and talk, I know for sure that God can grace you and uh, empower you to do something that you would not be able to do otherwise. Okay, so now that's what grace is. There's saving grace and serving grace, and there's a couple, of, but that's, that's an, all we want to say today. But let's talk about the throne. Let's talk about what it is not, the throne. This throne is not the throne of judgment. This throne is not the throne of guilt. This throne is not the throne of condemnation. This throne is not the uh, throne of criticism. This throne is not the throne of fear. So when we're talking about the throne of God and when we get into the presence of God, we're, we know that when we go there boldly, God is not going to judge. He's not going to uh, put guilt on us. He's not going to condemn us. He's not going to criticize us. And he's not going to put fear on us. So you know this, like if you ever, uh, and I, I know this has happened to some people, some Christians say, I think the Lord spoke to me and he told me this. And, it, and it, what they say brings so much fear into their lives. And I think, you know what, that wasn't God. We're, we're, we are in the age of grace, and God will give solutions to people that get them out of things, but he's not going to make people, people fearful. So if a voice ever comes and it's condemning and brings fear or guilt, that's not the voice of God. Okay? Now, uh, now I... I, I um, I, I wrote my brother, my baby brother, you're going to see why I say this, and I asked permission to use a, a photo here and, and tell a story. And so th this is a pic of my brothers. Um, this was last year, um, right after we buried my father, and that's right at the graveyard, and we thought, let's get a pic together. So there's my five brothers. Um, seems like I'm the only one with the gray hair. Um, I'm, not using, uh, I'm not using any product. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's pastoring. But no, two of my brothers, those two guys on this side, Joe and Mike, they both pastor, but they must be using product, right? <laughs> but anyway, this is my oldest brother, Jim, then me, then my brother Joe's next, and then my brother Mike, and then John, and then the one sitting down is my baby brother. Now, my baby brother, you know, has had some disorders you know, and because of some various disorders that he's had, he's obviously uh, really overweight. And so anytime I go back there, um, you know, I will ask him, I said, hey, Pat, are you uh, going to church? You know, and my, the guy in the end, my brother Joe, that's the church he would go to, my brother Joe's, uh, the, the church he pastors. And he says, no. He said, I, I don't know if I'll ever go to church. And I say, why? He's saved, Christian. He goes, because when I go to church and walk in, he said, before I can even sit down, everyone comes up to me and they say, my, have you gained weight? You know, you need to lose weight. And he said, you know something? I'm not stupid. I know I've gained weight and I know I have to lose weight. Now, all I really wanted to do is come to church and I have to hear that. So he stays away. But I'm, I'm doing this as an illustration. He doesn't go to church because when he gets there, there's probing questions that make him feel guilty and bad and all kind of stuff. So, of course, you know, 
when we go to God, he doesn't do that. Now, a little side thing, if we really get full of God and have revelation knowledge, we won't do that to people either. You know, there, there, there's some questions that we don't have to ask people. You know, there's, you know, and God can give us wisdom. There are some questions that we do not have to ask. We do not have to be like pro, we don't have to ask these probing questions that make people feel uncomfortable. You know, the Lord's corrected me and my wife. You know, my wife tells stories when she was talking to the Lord about me because she didn't like some stuff about me. And then the Lord told her stuff about herself. But in a way that he, the way that he talks, he says, you know, but, but, but. And she doesn't feel bad or get into fear. Same with me. He talks to us in a way that we, can, we make adjustments. It's like wisdom that causes us to go the right way and do the right thing. And we don't have fear or guilt or condemnation. That's the way that he talks to us. So we, if we get full of him and, and have his wisdom, that's how we will talk to people. And instead of pushing them away, they will be attractive to them. Okay? So, all right. So, uh, amen. Here's something that the great Charles Spurgeon said. He said this. He said, let your heart be guarded by the knowledge that you are right with God. Put on the righteousness of Christ himself as the best possible protection for your heart. I love that. Charles Spurgeon. He's with the Lord right now, but a, a great man that said many wonderful things. Let your heart be guarded by the knowledge that you are right with God. That when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, the bulletproof, it's revelation knowledge of being right with God that guards our heart. And then I like the way he said, he said, put it on. Put on the righteousness of Christ. It's like put on, he says, take up that breastplate. Put it on. In other words, if you don't put it on, you could fall into guilt, condemnation. If you start thinking that you're unrighteous, it robs all confidence of us if we think we're unrighteous. So, a Christian, once they say, Jesus, your Lord, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. People that are that, people that are Christians that are righteous, they can do an unrighteous thing. It doesn't change who they are. It was a behavior that it was unrighteous. The prodigal son left his father. He was behaving in an unrighteous way. He was still the son of his father. And then he decided to change. So we know in the Bible, God doesn't say, well, hey, I'm going to make you righteous and you can just do any, you can live any way you want to live and do anything you want to do. No, the prodigal son, that story's beautiful, but he did, he changed. In his heart, he changed, he turned, and he went back to the father. But what we see is that the father ran to him. The father didn't go up and slap him in the face and say, you stupid idiot. You blew all your money and you lived like a pig. But if you come home, all right, I guess I'll give you a room. It's not the last time you're going to hear about your mistakes. It's just the beginning. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So you understand what I'm saying here. All right, let's look, let's look at the last one here. The third thing we want to look at is then this throne that we're talking about, it's the throne of righteousness. So uh, the third thing we want to say is what, what is available there? 
So in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So mercy and grace, that is what is available at that throne. So let's talk about mercy here. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so when somebody... Now, we could take it back, Jesus came to redeem us, but, you know, God really could have just said, you know, this creation that I created, they failed me so many times, I'm just going to eradicate the universe and create a new universe. And he could have said that, but he didn't. You know, instead of eradicating the universe, he had a plan to save us. And so we did not get what we deserved. Instead, we got redemption. So it starts with salvation, but then once you are a Christian, it still doesn't change. And so Christians, if they don't understand righteousness, if they don't know how to put on the breastplate, what happens is then they run from God and they run from church. Where in reality, if we really follow the Bible, when somebody is in trouble, somebody that's done something wrong, they'll run to God and they'll run to church. Now, we want to be the kind of Christians that if somebody runs the church, we don't make them feel like losers, condemned. We want to receive them like God would receive them, okay? So mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So God will always give mercy. We're living under grace right now. It's the church age. That's the age we're in. At the end of the church age, when we're taken out of here, it's going to be a little different, but we're, we're, we're not destined to wrath. That's what the Bible says. The church, we're not destined to wrath. When Jesus comes back, there's going to be some different things, but as long as we're under grace in the church age, we can go to the throne room of God boldly, and there's always mercy at the throne we don't have to be on a roller coaster going up and down wondering if God is mad at us, running away from him. We can always run to God. Okay? All right, then uh, let's, uh, let's look at this with Paul the Apostle. Um, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. So here's a guy that's blaspheming the name of Christ, but even worse, he's killing Christians. He's killing Christians. So he says, I thank God that he actually considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. The difference between God and the world is very different. So I know some of you have even told me that, uh, that you have been following the Supreme Court thing uh, you know, going on in the States. Well, this man did some, they, was accused, not, no proof, that he did something 36 years ago, and they're trying to use something from 36 years ago to keep him out of a place. You know, that's the way it is out there. It's very unmerciful out there and sometimes people can't even do 
their job and work because of something they did many, many years ago, and of course there was no proof of him. But you see what I'm saying? We live out there, you watch the news and see how they are, but we can't let that creep into our life and be like them. Because here's Paul, and he actually murdered some people. Had, he had them murdered, and God decided he's going to give him something. He's going to forgive him, and he's going to give him something. Okay, so we know if you kill somebody, you're going to have to go to jail. So we know that. So you, you, there's a whole law system out there. But now, in the church world, as long as you don't do something like that that puts you in jail, when a Christian does something, they get mercy. And even though Christians were really bad before they got saved, and even Christians that have done things that they shouldn't have done, if God chooses to put them in a place to serve him, he will do it. It's, it's like different, very different. So he said, God had mercy on me because he, I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Okay, so Paul, one of the greatest apostles, had a very bad beginning. For all of us, none of us should ever think that God is finished with us based on anything. All the past failures, they're past. When you go to the throne room of grace, God doesn't remind you of anything you previously did. Because when God forgives, he forgets. So some people don't go forward because they're asphyxiated on the past, thinking, well, I did this and I did that. And many, many times, if not all the time, you're the one reminding yourself of what you did. It isn't God reminding you, you're reminding yourself. So when we understand righteousness and right standing, when it says take up that breastplate, take up that vest and put it on, that means you have revelation knowledge that God sees you righteous and you're in right standing with him. If you have right standing with God, you can serve him boldly. And that's why it's so important because Christians will go up and down based upon their feelings, based upon a lot of different things. Okay, I appreciated last week when the machine gun preachers, uh, you know, had everyone stand that wanted to get serious. But I know there's a balance there. You know, like, so you want to get serious, but, you know, you can get serious and serve, but if you don't stay in the Word, you can get burnt out and you can crumble under the pressure of serving. You have to have both. You sit under the Word, you feed yourself, and you serve. Or you could burn out and crumble. And so even if you serve, okay? All right, let's say uh, something about uh, grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Okay? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. All right, so God, when he chooses, he, he saved us. We didn't deserve that. But even he chose Paul to be an apostle who previously was terrible and killed Christians. He gave Paul grace to be an apostle. So Paul got something that he didn't deserve to be an apostle. He should have not been that. But let's just say this. Other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, there hasn't been any minister, no matter how famous they are, the ones that you can think of, Benny Hinn and Reinhard Bunke and all the big, what you call big name ministers, not any of them deserved to do what they did.
not any of them deserve to stand behind a pulpit. No one deserves to stand behind a pulpit, but God is the one that calls and he's the one that graces. And that enough should keep anyone humble that God decides to use. So grace is getting what you don't deserve. So I remember we lived in a, in, in, we've lived on four continents, and uh, one of the continents that we lived on after just about one year, I didn't want to be there anymore. It's like, I, it, you know, I did not want to be there, and I did not want to serve. I wanted to run. And, and every time it was time to go back there, you know, you buy the airline tickets. I, I've always done the advanced airline tickets to save money, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm buying airline tickets two and three months ahead to get the best price. So, you know, I already, the airline tickets were bought, um, but it got close and I was thinking, man, how can, how can I miss the flight? What, what can I do? What kind of excuse can I make up to not go back to that nation? Because I just did not want to serve there. And so, you know, when you're married to a lady like Patsy, and I tell her something and she says, Tony, you need to ask for grace. Tony, you need to ask for grace. Seven words. <laughs> but those seven words <laughs> made a big difference. So I said, yeah, I do. So I did ask the Lord for grace. And I asked for grace to serve in that place. And I, when I did that, I planned, if it was forever, you know, I planned to be there forever. And so it made a huge difference when I asked for grace to serve in that place. And I'm so grateful that I've never felt, anytime I leave this nation to come back, I'm always excited to come back here. And uh, so this is home. But, but even when I had to be somewhere I didn't want to be, God gave grace. So when we talk about grace, it's getting something you don't deserve that God will grace you to do what you're not able to do on your own. Praise God. Worship team can come. Father, I thank you so much uh, for today. Lord, what a wonderful thing to be in your word today. I pray for each person here, Lord, that, that they have an understanding of righteousness. They have an understanding of your mercy, how to, how to come for mercy and how to come for grace that each person here that knows you would know that there is no need to quit, that there is free and easy, open access to you, Heavenly Father, into your throne room, that each person would know how to boldly enter and receive grace to serve, receive mercy when they've done wrong, that, Father, there would be a stability and a consistency among believers because they understand righteousness. It will stabilize and cause us to be consistent. It will keep guilt and condemnation off people, causing them to run to you, Father, run to you often, run to you boldly. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that that would just be true for each person in the precious name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. 
you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.